yeah, we'll start with prayer and then we'll get right into everything. So, Lord, I'm so thankful for this morning, thankful for the opportunity to share everything that you've done in my life with this amazing reality that we get to live in. I pray, Lord, that um, every word that I speak is inspired by you, by Holy Spirit, and that it's only your words because I find mine to be lacking to describe how amazing you are. And I just pray for every person here and every person coming and all the people listening on the podcast, Lord, that you would touch them in a way that's unique to them, that they would take something from your heart to their life and to their story and apply it in a way that's new and different. And we just thank you for this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, for those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Melissa. <laughs> I think you all do, but I felt like I had to introduce myself. Um, I've been coming to Grace Church for maybe a little over seven years, um, and uh, it's been an incredible journey. So I've been trying to kind of like whittle down my, my big life, because I've had a lot of big experiences, to like these snapshots, shots, or shots, um, Puerto Rican. So um, <laughs> we say SH wrong. <laughs> but um, I thought I'd start with how I got to Grace Church and then kind of go backwards and back, you know, like a circle. So um, I come with my mom, um, Dahlia, she's sitting over there. And I, um, it's when I decided to like come back to church or, you know, like get back into like relationship with God, I, it was just an ordinary day. It wasn't like I had been thinking about it, or it was this thing that was weighing on me. No. I was just making dinner one night. I was actually living with my boyfriend at the time. Scandalous. And, um, sorry, <laughs> I was living with my boyfriend. I was making dinner, waiting for him to come home, and I was just, you know, content. My life was okay. I had a fairly decent job, um, living in a decent neighborhood, and he was a nice guy. And so I was just looking out over this, like, tiny living room, and making dinner, and this song was playing. So God likes to speak to me through random songs, um, which is kind of fun. And there was this song. It's by Imagine Dragons. And the name of the song is called Demons. <laughs> but, and I think it's, I, I laugh at it, but it's just so interesting because if you look up the song lyrics, it really does describe the way that I felt about myself. Um, internally, and it and, and if you've not heard the song, basically it's just talking about all the things that are hidden that you try to keep down so that nobody realizes who you truly are because that person truly is a mess and broken, and that, that's how I took it. And so this song is playing, and I was just like identifying with the song once again for the millionth time, and I'm just you know like nothing is going through my mind, but I hear not audible but loud in my head that it might as well have been like a loud whisper, you know? And I hear the Lord say, I can do this better for you. And I'm looking out and I'm thinking, I kind of like, I'm sarcastic. So I heard that and I was just like, yeah, whatever. And, and I ignored it because um, I had spent a long part of my life just ignoring this voice that I knew was God. And then I'm looking out <clears throat> and I'm thinking, whatever, this is fine. And then I hear him again. I can do your life better for you. And I didn't know what that meant, but at that very moment, it all felt like it came crashing down. And I was like, I was like thought about my life and about my experiences and how much I, even though it was okay, I, I, there was not okayness in my life. And I, I had this little attitude and I was, I kind of honestly felt annoyed. And I was like, 
fine. Like, literally out loud, fine, fine, fine. You can do this better than me? You think you can do this better than me? Then fine, you take it. You take my life and you do it better than me. But even though I had this brattiness, there was this inside peace of surrender that I didn't recognize as peace of surrender in that moment. I just thought I finally caved in. I finally caved in and let God take over my life. And so I called my mom like in that moment because I knew if I didn't jump on it, like I didn't know it like in this conscious decision, but I know me. If I had not jumped on it in that moment, I wouldn't have done it. So I called my mom and I was like, mom, I want to go to church on Sunday. And there was this long, pause, long but short pause, and she's like, oh, okay, okay, let me call you right back. And I'm pretty sure, I mean, I picture my mom, like, falling over, you know, because that was the last thing I'm sure she expected me to say. But I, and she calls me right back, and we decide to go to the church that she had been going to, because um, we lived in Orlando before, so she had been going to that church, a big mega church, and decided, well, go there. And so it was a Sunday after the 4th of July, um, and it was, you know, a big church, but because I think that Sunday is notoriously not busy at church because there are hardly any people there. And it was like the prison pastor, like the prison ministry pastor who was preaching from not the Bible, but like books that were, I didn't understand what he was talking about. And we left and I was like, I don't know if that's really what I was thinking. And we had, um, I had lived in Michigan previously. I'll get to that. And had gone to a big mega church there. And I didn't like the feeling personally of that getting lost in a crowd, but not having anybody that you can talk to or connect with. And I didn't want to go back into that. So my mom called her best friend from that church, whose name is Lucy, um, but Spanish Lucy, and so Puerto Rican Lucy. And she was like, well, you know, Pastor, Pastor Witten has a church in Longwood. And my mom was like, what? I've been trying to find him. No, I had no clue. So that next Sunday, we went to... Grace Church, Orlando, in Longwood, behind Bonefish. And um, those are the search terms if anybody wants to know. And, um, <laughs> and so I, you know, like we came in and it wasn't like, um, I can't even describe it because it wasn't like we walked in and it was like angels were singing or everybody came up to us and was like, people are here. It just came in, we sat in the back and um, I don't remember what Clark was preaching, but I do know it was the message where he announced his retirement. And I'm like, okay, Clark Witten was preaching here. Uh, but, you know, like, but it was that Sunday. And the message was, it, it felt so good. And the worship felt so great. And there was just like this familiarity about it, this sense of home that I didn't recognize or realize I had been looking for that. But I didn't even know that I had found that until I stepped through these doors and I realized, oh, this is it, whatever it was. And it reminded me um, so much of the church that I basically grew up in. So my dad was a Marine and we were stationed in quite a few places um, by the time that I was in like the third grade. And um, that's where I say I grew up, Oceanside, California, because I spent from the ages of eight to 15 there. And so that was kind of like, those were my formative years and we went to the same church while we were there. So um, I think I started going there. My earliest memories of that church are like wearing pretty dresses and spinning circles so that the skirt can fan out and you know, just going to children's church and enjoying life as a little kid, but not really paying attention to what was being taught um, other than 
I got to sing a solo in the Christmas service at, you know, like, I don't know how that happened. I think we were new at the church, and I was, I can sing it, because I remember the words, but I won't do that to you right now. Um, <laughs> but it's just like a, it's, it's that, that feeling of small, close-knit church that that church provided. And then, but we were going to um, one building, and then something happened in the church where we went into a new building. And it was in an office park. It was called, um, the church was renamed into New Beginnings, because they're creative. And, um, sorry. <laughs> and we just started going there. It was concrete floors. It was folding chairs. And we were with that church from basically the ground up and super involved. Um, it was, again, small. And, and there was a small group of people who had gone to New Beginnings. And I was in the children's church. My mom was the coordinator of the missionettes, which is like the Assemblies of God answer to Girl Scouts. My dad did stuff with Royal Rangers, which is like the Boy Scouts. And I, you know, like we just fell into the routine of um, church life, which in that it wasn't, I don't think it was, I think it was a non-denominational church, but it had a lot of, uh, it had charismatic roots, um, the word of faith roots, and just like uh, Assemblies of God type teachings. Um, and so I grew up in that, and I, I loved that church. I loved those people. I loved that feeling of, I belong, excuse me, I belong here, um, which was incredible um, because I'm the oldest of two little girls, and, you know, um, moving a lot really made me feel unstable as a little kid, and just like a new school, I, by the time I was in the third grade, I had been in a new school every grade from kindergarten to third grade. And so it just felt like, okay, I can, it was a group where I had friends, I made friends, I felt connected, um, even at a young age. And then um, the teaching, um, I can't specifically tell you this is what they taught, but what I can tell you is how it made me feel. And if you know me at all, I am very um, emotionally led. And, and sometimes that's awesome, but lots of times it's not. And so I'm gonna take a sip of this water so I don't do that weird throat thing again. But, um, but it's just, I'm so, so I picked up a lot of the um, environmental feelings in the, in the air, basically. And so what I remember of, the, of this church, while it was a loving, tight-knit community, um, and everybody, you know, was awesome, there was growing, what they were teaching, not like directly, but the feeling was, of, you know, the Bible study, the Bible stories when you're a kid of Noah's Ark or um, Jonah and the whale or whatever, it, it gave the impression of God is judging you based on what you say and what you do, and he's always watching you so that he's making sure that you're doing the right thing. He's always watching, like he's always watching. <laughs> he has eyes in the back of his head and all around him, and he's watching you to make to make sure that you don't mess up, because if you mess up, all's over. You got You better. You better be sorry, because if you don't say you're sorry enough times, then you might die and go to hell. That was my impression, and I will say that um, at home, my mother never, ever was like. She never said those words to me. She never treated me like that. But just I, I took this general feeling of the atmosphere where I saw people always. Um, and remember, I'm only eight, 
between 8 and 15, so I don't have the wisdom of an adult or the understanding of life. So I see them on their faces always crying. I see them going to the front all the time because that's where you repent and say you're sorry. I see them during worship crying and so many people sobbing. I see so much stuff now. It's a charismatic church full of young Marines, so there's a lot of life, and it's boisterous, and it's fun. And we did fun stuff. I mean, like, we did Christmas plays every year. You know, I was in the Christmas plays. Um, there was a Saturday Night Alive, which was like the counterpart to Saturday Night Live, which every Saturday we went, and there were skits. It was fun. There were fun things. Um, but because I didn't have understanding of God's true character, I saw him as this exacting, critical, always waiting for you to mess up kind of person. He scared me. And I thought he was angry. And I thought that I was not ever going to be enough to measure up to the standard that God had for me, ever. And it was reinforced by outside of church. So while at church they loved me, I remember going to school and... Um, it was really hard to make friends and people would call me weird. People would, you know, be my friends and then all of a sudden they stopped talking to me and I had no clue why other than you're so weird. And that turned into my older years. Are you high? What's wrong with you? Nobody acts like this if they're not high. I had no idea what they were talking about because I was, was not acting like anything. I was just being myself. And that was not something that seemed to be accepted outside of this little building. And so it was really hard for me to reconcile the two. And I just came away with, I'm not enough. I'm never going to measure up. And there's something deeply wrong with me that I cannot identify that's constantly rejected. And there's no security in Christianity, this life that's being presented, because everybody's crying. Everybody's always sorry. Everybody's so mournful about their life. And I. I remember our youth group, and I love my youth group. I remember, you know, they were awesome. But it just kept stacking up, stacking up, and it was so different. And one of the main things in the youth group, because at that point we were at the age of accountability. If you've ever heard of that, it's this magic number of age mm -hmm. that you turn. I don't know what that age is, but at some point that's what you turn, and now you're responsible for your eternal welfare. It's on your hands on your shoulders and you better pay attention because God is watching you and he's paying attention and if you mess up you're going to hell and so that was my impression I mean we watched a movie I don't know if any of you I, know, I think Kristen knows it tribulation force right so it was always this focused on you're going to go to hell you better be paying attention because God can come back at any time which is true it's biblical I'm not saying it's not but it just felt so heavy and so scary and so insurmountably impossible. And I'm like watching everybody around me. I'm going to go to hell because I can't remember everything I've done wrong to repent and ask God and beg, not ask, beg God for forgiveness. I don't feel so tr like this contrite spirit or soul or whatever within me because I didn't really feel sorry. I didn't really feel like I was a bad person, but everybody around me seemed to think that they were so bad. And I remember I was 14, maybe 13, 14, 
and I was sitting at the, you know, toward the back, because that's where the teenagers sat. Um, we were bad kids at some point. They made us sit in the front because we always would, like, escape church and go to the arcade next door. Apparently, I don't know why, but that's what we did. But, um, so, but this time I was sitting toward the back, and I'm watching everybody. And they would always have altar call, altar call at the end, which, um, you know, if you don't know what altar call is, it's when the pastor says, if you don't know Jesus, you, need, you know, you can come to the front and, can, you know, confess and ask for forgiveness, um, which I think is awesome, too, asking the Lord into your heart and receiving him as your Savior. But, again, let's remember I'm a kid, and I don't have a lot of understanding of what that meant. God was never love to me. They never, I don't, they may have said this, but because it wasn't the overarching theme, he was, he may be love, but really it was up to me to love him and do right by him so he would love me. It was up to me to do the things that he required of me on this long list of requirements or he, so he could love me, so he could accept me, so I could be received by this God who scared me. I remember little girl looking at the moon. There's like a ring around the moon, and I was like, I think I was nine. I was like, oh, no, Jesus is coming back. What, is he coming back tomorrow? But I was sad. I was so brokenhearted because my understanding was when you got to heaven, you wouldn't know your mom. You wouldn't know your dad. You wouldn't know any, anybody but this scary God that was kind of mean and a little bit angry. And I was like, I don't think I want this. So at 14, I'm looking around. And I'm, I remember sitting there, and I was like, so I'm going to probably go to hell no matter what I do, because if I die and I have forgotten to ask for forgiveness for something, like if I die in a car accident, I'll go to hell. I remember one time there was a teaching. Now, this is my understanding. I can't, again, I'm trying to say that I have like a rudimentary understanding, but I remember the pastor saying, if somebody lays hands on you and prays and they have unrepented sin, that sin somehow transfer onto you and now you're dealing with that sin too. So watch out who prays for you. So it's like nothing is safe. Nobody can pray for me. I can't pray for myself. I can't ask God for forgiveness. He felt so far, far away. And the few times that I did try to pray, I had migraines from like 11. And I knew that you could ask God to heal you. Um, so I had this horrible migraine. And I couldn't see. I could barely talk. I would slur words. And I was in such intense pain. And I was like, I have faith of a mustard seed. Jesus, will you please heal this migraine? Will you please take this pain? And it didn't go away at all. And I just thought, well, it's my faith. I don't have the right amount of faith, so God can't hear me. I'm doing something so wrong. I, and I never went to the front because by the time that I realized that I was supposed to, I had been involved in church and in every single thing, so I thought, well, if I go up there, they'll know I'm a liar and an imposter, and they'll, have, they'll condemn me and shun me because I never gave my life to Jesus. Never mind the fact that deep down, I love Jesus. From when I first met him and I sang that solo about, you know, you can hear baby singing in the Christmas thing, you know? But I didn't know that anything other than these are the rules, these are the steps. This is what you must do. So I said, nope, I'm not doing that. I'm not living this life where I'm persecuted, where I'm shunned, where there is no, there is no guarantee and it's an arbitrary set of rules that you must follow that you don't really know if you're in or you're out, if it's up or it's down, if God is loving you or judging you. And I was like, nope, I'm not. 
not doing it. And so I said, peace out. I'm not doing that. Now, I didn't stop going to church. It wasn't like I told my mom that. It wasn't like my mom had no idea what my internal dialogue was because what teenager really says, this is what I'm taking deep down inside, mom. Seriously, they won't even tell you what they had for lunch at school. They're not going to tell you that, right? So my mom had no idea. I'm sure some of this is like news to her um, because I'm not, I'm not secretive, but if, I, if, I don't, if it's not worth speaking, I'm not going to say it, you know, even at that young age because you got to watch everything, you know, like, Scriptures that I love so much right now that just like are my life, like in Philippians, I think it's 4, 8, whatsoever things are true and lovely and pure and all that. That was like, it was not you get to, it was a mandate, you must. Everything was you must or else, and it's you must or else. And I literally felt like a finger always pointing at me. And I was like, can't do it, I'm not done. But around that time, my dad was transferred and stationed to Camp Lejeune. And... Um, in, oh gosh, you guys, I'm running out of time. So in Camp Lejeune, we um, couldn't find a church that was like that one. So we ended up uh, going, we tried to church, but it didn't go. So we stopped going. I stopped going to church. And I just kind of like fell, fell through myself into just living normal life without all the rules of you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. I did it all. Like, so um, by the time I was in 11th grade, um, going into senior year, my dad was retiring, and so we were moving to Florida because that's where he was going to retire. Well, I moved to Florida, and I, my mom didn't know when we moved, but I was pregnant, and I was hiding that. That was my secret. My sister, um, who was sworn to secrecy, didn't say anything. So I was pregnant. My parents found out. I had my beautiful son at age 17, um, got married. Like, life happened. I got married when I was 21. And then I, got, I had my daughter at 22, my other son at 23. And so by the time I was 24, married, trying to live adult life in the world with no foundation, um, a broken person, married a broken person, two broken, don't make a whole. Yeah. I don't care what they tell you. So his lack of coping skills and lack of life skills and all the things coupled with mine, um, <clears throat> excuse me, created a toxic environment for both of us. And so I'm taking a lot of, uh, into this marriage, into my life as a parent, um, condemnation, self-hatred, self-destructive behavior, self-destructive thoughts, where everything was my fault. I always had to be what the other person wanted me to be in order for them to, to please them, because I was always trying to please God. But I never realized that all these things that I ran from, that I said no thank you to, became the structure of life which I based the way I saw others and myself on. So I was actually judging myself and judging others with that same pointer finger, but with no God. I never, it's not like I just said, abandon God. I just stopped. And so it was, it's just like I just turned the switch off and it was done. But God never stopped. So this is interesting because I was married for 11 years, tumultuous marriage. Um, he's better, I'm better. It's not a bad thing. It wasn't his fault. It wasn't my fault. It was people that just shouldn't have. And we were you know, only dating for four months. So it was like, whatever, you should, you just don't do that, okay? So anyway, when you're that young. So by the time I was um, 32, 33, I was divorced. And um, it was devastating. To say it was devastating, it shattered me. Because everything I thought that I was doing that was the right thing did not work. 
when I was 26, I actually went to a little church with my mom, and I, I, I went to the front, and I gave my life to the Lord, and it was an amazing day, and I left, and I felt, okay, God, here I am. You can do stuff now, right? But my expectation, my expectation of God was that he was now going to make my life roses and daffodils and everything beautiful, and I didn't have to do anything. He was going to step in and fix it all, but that didn't happen. And I went to um, this mega church in Michigan, great church, but the teachings were more of the same. Plus, now I'm an adult, so now there's a scripture, I forget where it is, but it's basically it says, say it's a status that you are in. If you're married, when you receive the Lord, stay married, because you never know. Not you never know, because you will be the one that brings your spouse to the Lord. So I thought, it's up to me to make sure this guy knows God. So I became the moral police in the house. We, we were the same when we got married, but then I had this change, and I expected him to follow me based on my judgments and, you know, the way I was laying down this, like, you can't talk like that. You can't be like that. He was the same. I was different. But then all of a sudden, I became pious. I became, or pious, how do you say that? Super religious, because now... I have the responsibility of this man and these children on my shoulders to make sure that they don't go to hell and that they don't live this life that will send them to sure excuse me, destruction. And I was like, it's, it was all my, all my job. Well, when God didn't do what I thought he was going to do, what I wanted him to do, what I expected him to do, again, I abandoned ship. And this time it was conscious. This time I said, you're not doing it. I'm going to do it. So I took the reins. And I try to fix my marriage. I mean, I've been divorced for like 13 years, so apparently that did not work. Um, but I tried to fix it. It made everything got worse. Everything got worse. I made worse decisions. The worst decisions I've ever made in my life were when I was trying to fix my marriage. I made them so bad. And so when it was done, I was shattered. Everything. And, and the only thing that was ever reinforced from little to them was, you're so pretty. I asked him, um, what's good about me? What is it that, you know, like, what do you like about me? And he said, he thought long and hard. And he goes, well, you're pretty. And I was like, some total of my life, the only reason I thought people ever wanted to be around me was because I, I brought pretty into their life. And, and I hated saying that. I don't even like saying that. I'm not conceited. I don't look at myself and go, dang, you're so pretty. No, I, I just look like me. I'm just me. I have a picture. When I'm little, I look the same. I just put a lot of makeup on now. It's just different. But you know what I mean? But, but for some reason, that's how people received me. So that's what I became because that's what people wanted. So I became the pretty whatever. I just was a morpher. I, I did what, you, what I thought that person wanted. And I spent all, all of my life. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm so sorry, you guys. I guess I needed all this water. I spent from when I was six, when 15, until I walked through the doors of this church when I was 38 or 30, well, I'm 46 now, so that would be 39. I spent all that time hating myself, wishing I was anybody else but myself, thinking that if I disappeared, nobody would care. I never wanted to kill myself because I knew I, that would send me straight to hell. Hell is real, and I was so scared of it all the time. I was so scared. But then I just thought, I screwed everything up. And I had this opportunity to fix my marriage, but I even screwed that up because I walked away from God. And I blamed myself. I came here with so much blame, 
self-condemnation, shame. Um, reje I rejected myself so badly, but I had gotten so used to that feeling that I was able to wear a layer of masks that nobody knew. Nobody knew the internal struggle that I lived with. I, at the point when I ended up in um, Florida from Michigan, it was a series of events. I was being evicted. So long, such a long story. But I got here, and I'm gonna cry. So I got here, and my whole thing was, I'm gonna get back to my kids. I'm gonna get back to that life, and I gotta do these things so I could do it. So I had goals, and I was gonna get a job, which I did save up money to pay off all the debt, which I did, and then I was going to get a car and go back. I did all that. I did all that, and then I, um, and then it was totally done because on one day my eyesight got really blurry, and I thought, well, I must need glasses, because I had glasses before, and that was like in October of 2014. And then in November, I couldn't see across the building. And I lost my eyesight to a point where I was scared. I went to the hospital, and they checked me in for a week. And they did all these tests, this spinal tests. And it wasn't until January of 2015 that they discovered that um, I had multiple sclerosis. And it left lesions on both my optic nerves and both lobes of my brain and some on my cervical spine. So basically, where there could be a lesion, which is a deterioration of your myelin layer of your central nervous system, that nerve sheath, they found them. And so there I was. Um, I was dating this great guy, the one that I was living with. And he took care of me. He read labels. He was a nice guy. But I had so much brokenness and inner turmoil that I just kept, the Lord showed me, I was swinging from vine to vine to vine. Just one thing, when, it, when I ran out of vine, I swung to another. When I ran out of vine, I swung to another. And then he showed me, myself and I was climbing out of this deep pit and I was almost at the end I was climbing up by the skin of my fingers they were bloody and I was climbing up and I pulled myself up out of this pit and then it was this big lush valley of green grass and it was beautiful it was like this chasm between these two mountains and then he showed this pile of lumber and all the bit makings to build a house so then I'm at this house and I'm building this house I'm building this house I'm building this house and then all of a sudden this clear blue sky turns into dark gray, and this torrential downpour starts filling this chasm. And he shows me that I was trying to build this house, but when this rain came, it overtook me, and I just did not care anymore. And I just let go, and I was like, draw me. I don't care. But then, but then he shows me out of all this stuff, the wood, this plank of wood just floats underneath me. And I'm not trying. I don't care. But then it floats me to this island. And I float onto the sand. And I, I see my face in the sand. And it's kind of turned this way. And then I open my eyes. And I don't have any strength to even do a single thing. But then I see these feet standing there. And I see a hand reach down. And I didn't think I had the strength to grab that hand. But I grabbed it. And as soon as I did, I was in this open, gigantic island. And it was just all these palm trees. And it was me. And I knew Jesus was there. And Jesus was there with me. And Jesus reminded me of all the times in my life that I had been running. I had gone full prodigal. And I say that as a joke a lot of times. But if you read that, that son did not understand who he was to the father. 
But that son knew he was a son. I didn't even know I was a daughter. I didn't even know I was swimming in pig slop. I couldn't smell the stink. And I didn't realize that. But when I came here, when God showed me that he brought me to this spacious place, I realized that I'm loved, that God is love. Love loves me. Love sees everything of my past, and he's chosen to cast it as far as the east is from the west and remember it no more. He forgives me now and forever. He doesn't let anything that's behind me affect me because he only sees what he's done for me today and where I'm going tomorrow because he's cast it away. As far as the east is from the west, that's extremely huge because God is humongous. And this big God that I was so scared of, that was this eye in the sky, moon, and all the stuff, this God that was creator of all those things that I knew could just be squish. No, because this God decided to send his only son into my life and erase it and make me the righteousness of God in him, Christ Jesus. He made me righteous. He said, I love you right there in your slop, and I'm going to clean you up and take you out and make you something new. It's been seven years of a journey where God has said, you are mine now and forever, and you've never not been my daughter because I've been with you this entire time. There were times where I was in a situation, and I heard, I just knew, and I heard this, you, you don't belong here. You shouldn't be here. You don't belong here. And I knew it was God. There was a song by Vertical Horizon, and a lyric says, um, I'm everything you want. I'm everything I, you need. I'm everything inside of you you wish you could be. And I knew that was God, and I wanted it. But at that time, I thought, if I do that, I'll be rejected by my husband. And we were pretty newly married, and I couldn't have that because rejection was the worst. But God accepts me. He doesn't reject me. He looks at me, and he says, you are my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And scriptures like Psalm 139, the whole thing, are real to me. He made me on purpose. This personality that I was trying to shove down for so many years, he's pulled out bit by bit. And I love her because God loves her. God made this woman, this girl, on purpose. And that to me is the grace is amazing. It's more than a message, you guys. It's more than a new doctrine. It's more than the way to interpret the Bible. It's not theology. It's reality. It's the way to live your life in freedom, knowing that he's not judging you. He accepts you, that he looks at you, and he loves what he sees. That's the first series that, I, that we came into. God loves you, and he loves what he sees. God knows you, and he loves what he sees. He knows where you've been, and he loves what he sees. He knows what you did. And he loves what he sees because what he sees is the real you, the true you, the you that was created before the foundations of the world. Amen. And he sees that person and holds them as a treasure in the palm of his hand and says, I have amazing, amazing plans for you. And I know what they are. And you don't have to strive to achieve them. You don't have to earn anything because my son Jesus, he took it all for you. He became a curse so you could be set free. He became all the ugly of the world so you can walk in the pretty. You're more than pretty. 
You're more than what you look like, you guys. You're more than what you sound like. You are the essence of God, and he has a special thing for each of us because we each carry a special component of his love. God is love, and he's given you the ability through grace. Grace, to me, is the invisible essence of the truth of love and, and faith and all the things put together. It's the invisible juice, if you will, that empowers you to do everything that God says you are, to be everything, to walk in it. I love all the people of my past because God loved me first, and it's not my love. It's his love that is in me and overflows to them. I forgive all the people who have hurt me because it's not my forgiveness. It's his forgiveness. I get to give it away. I get to receive. I get to be different. I get to be me because love changes me. And because I receive it, I can give it away. It's so much easier to give it away because it's not mine. I don't have to do it. I don't have to be it. I don't have to achieve it. There's not a list. You know what the list is? Believe and receive. You know what your do is? Do what love says. You know what love says? Love your neighbor. You know how you love your neighbor? Well, yeah, you love yourself, but you don't love yourself straight away because you love yourself because God loved you first. And his first love, you're his first love. Like, he knows you. He knits you together. I can't even stress enough the, the absolute truth of walking in the knowledge of being known and how that changes your life. I spent so much of my life running from a God that I thought was only wanting to put me in a hole, to pin me down, to tell me, you're not worthy. You cannot ever measure up to my standards because I am God. And you, you've fallen short. You've fallen short and you're a sinner. No! You guys, hello, we're saints. God has made us righteous and holy and blameless and accepted and set apart. He's He's given us this whole new way of life. It is not a lens. It is not a new translation of the Bible. It's not any of those things. It's Jesus. It's Jesus holding your hand, walking by your side, and walking with you into every day, every tomorrow, every situation. You can do all things through Christ who gives you the strength, and the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy is not a feeling. It is a truth, and I live in that. I, I've learned that the Bible is true face value. But you know what? We get all the benefits. Psalm 103, read it. We get all of the benefits. He forgives all our sins. That's Psalm 103. Someone, you guys know the scriptures. I only listen to us. Excuse me. I only listen to them. I don't know what the word numbers are. But you just, there's so much truth and you can take it personally, internally, because you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And there is nothing that the enemy has ever said, ever done, or ever will do that can be used against you because Romans 8.28, he takes all things. He weaves them into your story for good. And no matter what, it will end up good because God is good and his goodness will lead you to repentance, not being scared. That's all I got. Amen.